great to be with you. Isn't this different, hey? Um, I haven't got a guitar in front of me to sort of protect me from all of you. Instead, I'll be speaking to you. Um, let's, um, let's pray and just start out how we want to um, carry on. So, Lord Jesus, I thank you that you're here. And, Lord, we don't want to talk about you like you're not in the room this morning. Lord, we trust you this morning. We are open to your spirit, open to your word. We rest in you, Lord. Lord, we pray, fill us again. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So we're going to be continuing our um, joy series, um, Choose Joy, uh, which is, um, we've been doing that, I think this is the third one in the series. So, um, and the passage we're going to be talking about is Philippians 2, uh, verse 12 to 17, which will come up in a bit, but um, I, was, <laughs> I was laughing about this, um, because the title of the passage, if you're in the NIV, is, do not, <laughs> someone's already laughing, you do not grumble or argue about everything, or anything, probably everything, um, but I was just thinking this week, I was like, how many times have I actually moaned or grumbled, um, and one of the main things that I've moaned about this week, I think, is the weather, has anyone else been hating how wet it is? Yeah, I'm seeing a couple of hands. Now, the thing is, I reckon two weeks ago, you are probably grumbling about how warm it was. And probably a couple of weeks about that, you'd be going, oh, isn't it gray? Because it's so British, isn't it? We just complain about the weather. Anyway, this is what Paul says about grumbling and um, moaning. <laughs> so he says from verses um, 12 to 17 in Philippians 2, I'll give you a minute just to, to get that open. But he says this, um, therefore... My dear friends, as you always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Next, please. Do everything, everything, even Ikea trips. <laughs> without grumbling or arguing, so that you may became, become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky, as you hold firmly to the world of life, word of life, and then I'll be able to boast on the, yeah, and then I'll be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. I think there's one more, so, but even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering, on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Um, I find joy such a funny thing. Um, and to be honest, it was quite difficult writing this talk because I'm sort of like, choose joy. Like, what does it actually mean to choose joy? Are we, you know, does it mean just we just... It's, it's been chosen <laughs> and now I'm okay. Um, is it a choice? Is joy a choice? Or is it something that's sort of a natural reaction? And I mean, we'll, we'll get onto it in a minute. But um, I also sort of, I was thinking, you know, there's so many reasons at the moment why um, 
as a, as a society, as a culture, we're, so, we're missing so much, so much joy. Um, I did a quick Google search on, um, on this, and I said, why is life? Um, expecting some positive answers. Um, but instead, I get things like this. Why is life so hard? Why is life so boring? Why is life so unfair? Why is life so cruel? Apparently, that's a song, so you can go and listen to that after this. Why is life so depressing? Why is life so difficult? And why is life so expensive? And I'm sure we can probably resonate with at least one of those at the moment, particularly the expensive one, um, at least maybe for me. But um, I thought there's so many reasons why people have this reason to lack joy. Um, We've got a couple of slides here. So there's everything going on in Ukraine. There's COVID still lingering about. There's the cost of living crisis. There's the climate emergency going on. And it just seems, I was asking myself this question of what are we, what are we celebrating as a culture? Or what are the markers in my year where I actually do some celebration rather than grumbling, moaning, or just <laughs> in terms of the people I've talked to, um, you know, just struggling with all of this stuff that is going on. I thought, well, maybe Christmas. Yeah, that's pretty good. And birthdays. Um, and so when I was sort of like kicking this off, I was like, where actually, how do you, in the, in the New Testament, I see so much partying going on. I don't know if you read that into the New Testament, but you know, where Jesus performed his first miracle was at a wedding. Um, and then all the way through, you see multiple feasts and parties and all of this stuff. And you're going, wow, they knew how to have a good time. It wasn't just these people living in a time where they were just miserable and did, followed, you know, all this stuff. They, they, they knew how to party. And um, I, I sort of got into researching them a bit. Um, this type of stuff gets me really interested. But there was a whole load of different feasts and festivals throughout um, the year for them. So the first one of these um, that came up uh, when I was researching, so thank you, Andy, uh, is Passover. Um, and I don't has anyone ever been to a Passover meal? We had one in church. Just stick your hand up. Yeah, was it good? Did you enjoy it? Yeah, seeing a few nods. Um, well, they had this, this feast called Passover, which was celebrating the liberation from, from Egypt, from God taking his people out and into the promised land. And another name for it on the next slide was um, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, um, which celebrated this whole idea of provision in the desert. So you've got this idea of liberation, of being taken out of, um, out of Egypt, out of slavery, through the Red Sea, into the promise as well. And then this Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is almost synonymous with um, the Passover, which is celebrating the provision in the desert. We remember uh, the manna falling from heaven, um, as we read uh, in Exodus. Um, and another one that came up, uh, Festival of First Fruits. Um, and this was literally at the start of um, the harvest, it would be the first fruits that were gathered, um, and it was celebrating the promise of a harvest yet to come. Um, and this was another festival that they had, and it carries on. The, an, another one that came up, Shavuot, um, which celebrated Sinai and the giving of the law, 
And Moses coming down from the mountain with the tablets. And I thought this one was particularly great when I was researching it because in the synagogue, they would literally carry up the, the Torah and then they'd be blowing on the chauffeurs. And it's almost like there's so much noise and worship and stuff around this whole idea of the Torah and the law. Again, after that, there's another one, Rosh Hashanah, which is celebrating the creation of the world, the creation of Adam and Eve, and the start of humanity's journey with God. Um, I'm just going through these, and I'm like, well, these are amazing things to celebrate, aren't they? Um, again, carrying on, still going. There's plenty of holidays. <laughs> Yom Kippur. Kippur ugh, I'm stumbling over that one. I always try, find that one difficult. But this is atonement. And the idea, if you, has anyone ever braved brave through, through reading Leviticus in one sitting? don't know what happened there. Um, but if you read Leviticus, it's almost in two halves, and then bang in the middle, we have the Day of Atonement, and this whole celebration around forgiveness and the sacrificial lamb um, being given on that day, and it's blood being spilt on the altar. Again, I think we've got a couple more left. We are getting there. No, we don't. Well, I've got some in here, got, uh, Sukkot, which is about rest, which was the, on the other end of the harvest, the final collection of the harvest, and it was about, to, it was about celebrating um, just the work being finished, and all of it being, you know, all of the, um, whatever they were farming was um, collected, and they were celebrating rest and celebrating Sabbath. Um, You've got Hanukkah for protection and all of that. And I, I just think it's amazing that for the Jewish people, they knew throughout the year, um, they had all these opportunities to celebrate what God had done um, in their story. What God had said, what God had promised. And, and they knew that from garden to desert, from desert to promise, from promise to exile, from exile to liberation, and from liberation to Messiah, God was in all of it. God was in every high and low. And I just think it's amazing that they celebrated all of these different things. You see, their circumstances weren't their joy. They didn't celebrate them, and their finances weren't their joy. Their, their status, their lifestyles, their relationships, their safety, their joy was, was in God and what he had given what he had promised, and how he had brought them out from under oppression to the promise. And you just read the Old Testament, and you see throughout the, the tapestry of their story, every stitch was laden with this faithfulness, this story of provision, protection, truth, rest, and hope. And they knew this inheritance that they had of joy, this inheritance that they had in God that he kept his word, that he was faithful. And, and this, the amazing thing is, for me at least, they only had half the story. They only had what was known as the Torah at that time. And yet they still found so much reason to be glad. They saw so much faithfulness in that. And now we, we, we stand as Christians knowing that, you know, for, maybe if we can go back to the Passover one, Andy, and we'll work our way through again. But we know that just as 
Um, the Jewish people have been liberated from Egypt, brought out of slavery into the promise. We have been liberated from sin, brought through the waters of baptism into the promise in Jesus. What an amazing thing. The next one, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We know that in the desert, they were provided for, they were given manna. We know now, looking back at the New Testament, that Jesus went through the desert, faced temptation, and came out the other side for us. Keeping going. The festival of first fruits. We know now that Jesus Christ is the first risen among the dead, the first of the harvest. We sit and rest in that promise. Keeping going. The giving of the law. We sit now knowing that the word became flesh and made its dwelling amongst us. The logos of God came and was with us. We know that the joy of God's presence in the garden during the creation of the world has been restored to us. That the curtain is torn in two and that we can enjoy being with him. And lastly, we know that Christ is the atoning sacrifice for our sins through his death and resurrection on the cross. Now, I don't know about you, but that gives me a lot of reason to be joyful, doesn't it? That gives me a lot of things to celebrate. And I find more and more that, you know, when um, I'm thinking about joy and what joy is, that um, (laughs) I, I sort of... You know, this whole idea of choosing joy, it's kind of like, like let's look at things that make you happy. And I think if you're, you're going to be doing that, it's almost like you're constantly looking left and right for stuff and blessings and all of that. When really what I think joy first, first and foremost what joy is, is joy isn't a feeling but a focus. Joy is a choice to actually see what God has done in our lives. The story of our people the story of ourselves as well. I'm sure many of you, if I was to ask you, have got amazing stories of God's provision, of his faithfulness. And to celebrate that, joy is a focus, not a feeling. Joy is a deep, deep knowing. Joy is surrender. Joy is knowing whose hands we're in. Joy is knowing whose breath is in our lungs as we sung. And joy is knowing who sustains every step of our walk. Joy is satisfaction in the knowledge that no matter what happens, no matter what comes our way, he's faithful and he's true and he's in control. Now, I don't know wherever you are on this journey today. Maybe you feel like you're in on a valley or a mountain or maybe you feel like you're in a garden or desert, um, but Christ is there and Christ can be known there. And when we go through struggles, you know, what, what, are the, what are trials and challenges in our lives? What are tribulations? What is temptation and the, and the valley of death? But an, an opportunity for a miracle, an opportunity for Christ to show his faithfulness, an opportunity for Christ to show his hope and his love. 1 Peter 4.13 says this, But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory 
is revealed. So what do we mean when we say choose joy? To choose joy is to choose faith. To choose joy is to choose trust. And to choose joy is to know he goes before us. And if he is with you, you know, that, that incredible verse and passage from Romans, if he is with you, what can be against you? And just as I was preparing this talk, I just felt um, in my spirit that actually, you know, this is an amazing passage. And I just want to read this out to you. Um, maybe it's been a while since you've read it or taking it in afresh, but um, Romans 8, 31. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give, up, give us everything else? Everything. Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with him. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ, who loved us. And I'm convinced that, neither, that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky, above, or in the earth, earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. What an amazing bit of scripture. I think this is why it's so important that we hold firmly to the word. That's what it says, wasn't it, in that passage at the start? Hold firmly to the word, to the book of life. I just feel like we can't be so obsessed with this cultural moment that we lose our perspective of our eternal joy in Christ. What he's done for us, what he is doing for us. He's incredible, isn't it? I think we have the next slide, please, Andy. I just saw this, this picture of Jesus and just how he has fulfilled all of those celebrations, how he is the cornerstone of our faith. I just think, wow. It just leaves me in a place of wonder and just that place of worship, knowing just how far he's gone for us what he's done next slide Andy please and just with the word as well I thought this was amazing this is um, an image of um, the Bible so if you, you kind of like lay out the Bible on its on its back so from yeah so on the left that the white lines there would be Genesis and then on the right would be Revelation but this is all the interlinking passages 
in the Bible. Every line that is there is, relates to each other. And these are books written by separate authors over you know, a time span of thousands of years. And um, it, it says that, the, <laughs> that I think there's something like 300, I've written it down somewhere, but it's, it's gone there. I think it was 336,000 passages that link together, all telling the story of our inheritance, all telling the story of what Christ has done. And you can kind of pick out in that image a couple of the, um, the key moments. So um, you notice a lot of the lines go towards the middle. Anyone know what book that might be going to? Anyone know what's the most referenced book throughout the Bible? Psalms. Bang on. And then you see there's a big like orange. I'm pointing that way because that's where my screen is. But <laughs> there, you see there's a big orange line going towards the Gospels at the very end. I just want us to, to soak that in for a minute. These are promises over thousands of years linking together, telling the story of his faithfulness. Next slide, please, Andy. Keep going. <laughs> Done that one. <laughs> Bro. Actually, no, we'll go one back. Sorry. Right, I'm being fussy now, aren't I? Um, yeah, so this is the verse that we've been given today. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. We've got to hold firm to that word. This is why we say read scripture. It's not for duty. <laughs> it's for our sake. And it's to remind us of the promise that we've been given. We need to hold firm to that promise. The other, um, the other part of that passage that really stuck out to me when I was reading it um, was this bit about shining among them like stars in the sky. Um, I think that's a really cool picture. Um, and Andy, can you put the next one up, mate? There we go. Um, if you look up on a good night, we might get that, mightn't we? You probably can't even see that, but... That, that would be a pretty good night over Worcester to get something like that. Well, before that, um, during this biblical time, um, they had no light pollution, and it probably looked a bit more like this. Or, <laughs> you know, has anyone ever seen the Milky Way and gone out somewhere yet at night? It's amazing, and um, I recommend you go and do it or try to, but you have to have a really clear night, and you have to be far, far away um, from cities to see it. And I just thought, what an incredible picture of just us and what we should be in the world, shining stars in this world, pure and blameless. Did you know that um, every, um, I've got a few star facts, I think it's cool. I've got a fun fact about me, actually, before we go, get this. I have a GCSE in astronomy. I got a C, but we don't talk about that. <laughs> But every star you see in the night sky is bigger and brighter than our sun. 
Of the 5,000 or so stars brighter than magnitude 6, only a handful of very faint stars are approximately the same size and brightness of our sun, and the rest are all bigger and brighter. And this, I think this is really cool. If you look into the night sky, you can see 20 quadrillion miles at least. I'm trying to get my head around that. It's 19, uh, it's, the precise number is 19 and a lot of zeros. So it's, <laughs> let me count them quick. 15 zeros after 19. So that'll give you a bit of a, <laughs> um, an idea. And astronomers estimate that in our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, alone, there's a trillion stars there. I was trying to get my head around, like, so why is Paul saying we should shine like stars? Because surely, you know, great, we're shining. What, do, what does it actually mean to shine without going into sort of some, some cheesiness? Well, there's another use, for, another use for stars, and I've asked a glamorous assistant to come and help me out this morning. So I'm going to welcome up um, Clive. Can we give Clive a clap? You may have spotted Clive playing bass, but um, what you may not know about Clive is he was in the Navy for several years, and um, he's brought along something that I'm not trusted to hold. Um, and, so, <laughs> um, and so here we go. Yeah, that's fine. I'll go that side, isn't it? Right. Anyone know what that is? Sextant. So, Clive, do you want to tell us about... Clive lectured in navigation. So, I'm going to say you've got two minutes, Clive. <laughs> but tell us about your, your sextant. Um, this It's called sextant because it's a sixth of a, of a circle. But the mirrors double that up. So, you've got 120 degrees there. And the way you navigate with one of these, uh, which I used to do when, when Nelson trained me back in the day, <laughs> um, um, is that you hold it up to the horizon, so you have a, a glass that sees the horizon, then the mirrors take down whatever it is that you want to look at, and you're after an angle. And when you've got an angle, um, you work it out roughly, and then you get it absolutely precisely, um, a tiny bit of uh, adjustment on the small scale there, and you get an absolute precise picture of the heavenly body, and we're not talking about Katie Price, we're talking about a star, or, or the sun, or something like that, on the horizon, it's bobbling around there, and as you do it, and then you shout, stop, and someone in the wheelhouse will take the time on the chronometer for GMT, so you have a, an angle, very precise angle, very precise GMT, and from that you can work out a, a line on a chart from um, spherical trigonometry, which you do nowadays on a calculator. I used to do it in, with tables. And you need a number of lines, so you need perhaps six stars at twilight, because you need a horizon and the stars, um, morning and evening. Or during the day, obviously, you, you can take the sun, but it needs to move around, so you have a different angle. So each line crosses. It looks like um, something like Clapham Junction when you finish, but it does actually cross a pretty near point, and that is your, your fix. And uh, within a mile is considered good, um, which sounds a lot, but actually it's nothing at sea if you're 2,000 miles from nowhere. Um, it's perfectly accurate. And uh, I last used this uh, when I was navigating the mission ship Dulos, um, about 8,000 tons of passenger ship used for um, conference work and, and evangelistic work and book, book work in South America, where it was, and I was taking this into the Amazon. 
So uh, Amazon's not small. It's 100 miles across at the, at the entrance. So uh, we still needed to know where we were going. And actually, funny enough, we were going past, and a yacht called us up and said, do you know where you're going? And I said, well, I think I do. And they said, we'll follow you. I said, well, we're going a little too fast for you, but you can take a bearing on me as I disappear over the horizon. So I hope they got there. We certainly did. <laughs> Thank you, Clive. Thanks. Give him a clap. Come on. But stars weren't only used in that time just to gaze at. They had a purpose and a function of navigation. They're saying that celestial navigation, it can date back as early as 1500 BC, um, which is kind of the, the Cretans um, who invented it, I think, if I'm right. I'll wait for someone to correct me on that after the service. But I just think it's an incredible thing that Paul draws this analogy and says we are to be like stars. And if you were listening carefully to Clive there as he was speaking, what he mentioned was that this sextant could only, well, in the, it could be used in the day, and then at night it had to be used close to twilight and dawn. And I, I just, um, as I was thinking about this, I just thought there's something prophetic in that, isn't there? That we as stars point the way to Christ. That we, through the joy that we know, the joy of our salvation, shine so that others see the direction of travel, so that others see the direction to the dawn. And I was just, as I was preparing this, I got this immense picture of these boats going across the sea, traveling east. And you can imagine the joy as they, the sun came up and they saw the horizon. That's what we're called to be in the world. Stars that point the way to Christ, that tell this story of love, of faithfulness, that celebrate all this stuff that we've talked about as we go. And it's not us that shine anyway. We don't shine through our own strength because it's Christ who shines through us. We are living testimonies of his faithfulness, walking proclamations of the love of God, the work of his hands, and sons and daughters created in his image, his joy. We are objects of his joy, of his delight, and his pleasure. I don't know if that doesn't give you purpose, if that doesn't give you a sense of what you're called to do. I don't know what will. Joy is the primary symptom of hope. As Christians, we have a hope that is an anchor to our souls. We're called to be a hopeful people. Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 10:23 says let us unswervingly hold to the hope we profess for he he who has promised is faithful that's why we're joyous that's why as christians we celebrate that's why we worship that's why we praise it's because of the god that we know i also think for me it was a bit of a challenge I started asking myself the question of how often have I ended up 
being pessimistic or critical, how much have I grumbled or argued. But we're intended to shine, and not for our sake, but rather for the sake of others, so they may see us and think, that's the direction to the Father. That's the way I want to go. Let's um, bow our heads for a minute. I'm just going to ask Ben to come up um, with the band, if that's all right. And just as we sit here, it may feel like for many of you that that, that shine has gone. Um, it may be that you haven't felt that joy for a long, long time. But I feel like this morning, God wants to restore that. So Lord Jesus, we just pray for your spirit to come now. We ask that you restore to us a joy. I thank you, God, that you never ask us to be inauthentic. That you never ask us to forsake our integrity for appearances, Lord but instead we have a true joy that can be found in you. In the story and testimony of your faithfulness. Thanks, Phil. There's a, a, lot to, a lot to ponder on there. And I just wonder, as, as we're kind of in this posture of prayer, uh, there's was, there was two things that really stood out for me within what Phil's just said that I wonder if we could respond to um, together. Uh, 